All right. So with that being the case, we're going to move over to the Eastern Conference and we're going to start with Miami. And again, this is another one of those series where we do not have the winner yet. So for the sake of just kind of clarifying things really quick, I'll go to Jackson first. There's there's three teams that will be vying for that that eight spot. Um, obviously, Atlanta and Charlotte who play tonight and then the Cleveland Cavaliers who are waiting for the winner of those two in order to play. Of those three teams, before we get to Miami, which one of those three teams do you think will end up representing uh, as that eight seed? Yeah, I have the Hawks um, coming out winning two games. And I think that they're, the toughest matchup for them is actually going to be this Hornets team, um, which as of we're filming this, that game is tonight. And I think mm-hmm. that just from the standpoint of the Hornets, um, obviously they're a fun team. They're on it. They're um, an improved team from last year. They um, got Kelly Oubre, which is one of the more underrated um, signings of the offseason. And they have so many diverse offensive weapons, something that the Hawks lack. But the Hawks clearly have the best player in that matchup. And if they were to face the Cavs, they would also clearly have the best player. Um, although no disrespect to Darius Garland. Um, he's also had a great year. But I think that... Um, if they get past the Hornets, which I expect them to, I think that the Cavs have the Cavs have struggled mightily without Jared Allen, and all signs are pointing to Jared Allen not being available for a potential play-in game against the Hawks or the Hornets. So, I would just naturally take the Hawks in that game, um, and I would ride Trey Young, um, and just bank on the fact that. Um, Contributing pieces like Clint Capella, like DeAndre Hunter, um, in a winner-go-home series would be able to contribute in a big way. Ryan, how about you? you agree with Atlanta, or you got somebody else coming out of the fray? I'm actually going to go with Charlotte on this one, because I think the one thing with Atlanta is that their defense has struggled this year, and I think Charlotte will be able to take advantage of that. I think the only way Atlanta makes it out of this game tonight in the play in the playing game against Charlotte is if Trey Young goes off for a 45 point game and hmm. they will, they obviously will need contributions from guys like Timothy Luau, Cabrero, Kevin Herter. But I think ultimately Trey Young's going to have to be that guy that, that propels them past the Charlotte Hornets and past the Cleveland Cavaliers. I'm going to go with Charlotte on this one. I think it just seems time for them to shine because you know, last year they got blown out in the in the playing tournament by the Pacers. I don't see it going that way in any of those game and any of these games um, against the Hawks and the Cavaliers. So I think with the emergence of also guy of a uh, guys like Lamelo Ball, Miles Bridges, Terry Rozier, I think that could be another reason why this team moves on to the NBA playoffs. I'm going with Charlotte. So Ryan, I don't hate the I don't hate the take the redemption story, right? The idea of coming back from getting whooped on last season in the same playing scenario to being a lot better in this area. I think that that getting whooped on, like the manner in which they were taken out of the play-in tournament is kind of where my cause to pause is, right? They still don't really have, I mean, if I'm not mistaken, they still don't have Gordon Hayward. They're LaMelo Ball, I still kind of wonder if he's a winning player. 
for them just yet. I, I still have my concerns about that. I Don't get me wrong. From an elite point guard standpoint, I think he's still a top 10 point guard in the NBA right now. But in terms of his impact as a winning basketball player, I, one just kind of comes to wonder if in games like these, if he's ready to kind of take that next leap because so far we haven't really seen that. He's very good at being able to put up significant stats stats and show off the highlight plays that could take over ESPN and so on and so forth. Yet here we are with Charlotte, one of these fun, exciting league pass teams everybody was clamoring about in the beginning of the season as one of the more fun teams to watch this year. And here we are again watching them on the fringe of being eliminated from the playoff race in a winner-go-home scenario as a team that has significant talent against the, uh, against the, across the board. Bridges, Rozier, Ball. Um, I think that with Kelly Oubre, like Jackson mentioned, as a guy that has been an underrated signing, um, I think they have a handful of guys that make them a really dangerous core, yet here we are. And so that just gives me cause to pause. I'm going to go with Atlanta. Ryan, you also know at the beginning of the season, I had a little mini bet that said that I all three of my uh, Eastern Conference teams were going to make the playoffs. Obviously, that bet is null and void because, the, uh, or I guess I lost, I guess it's a better way to put it, because Washington is far and away from this playoff discussion. But I'm going to go with the other team in Atlanta in terms of being able to get this job done. I think they are desperately in need and desperately are longing to run it back after the way last season ended. And I don't think that they're going to get taken out in the first round of a play-in tournament. And with that being the case, I also have them going all the way through it and being able to make that eight seed. So I'm going to go with Atlanta as well. Let's transition to talking about Miami again. This series is a little bit weird because we have to kind of just focus on Miami as a team as opposed to their matchup in this first series, just because it could be any of these three that we mentioned. I'm, none of us were actually super confident in Cleveland. And Lord knows, at the end of the day, Darius Garland did was an all-star this year, and he could snap in this in this second elimination game. So who knows? But focusing on Miami, Jackson, I'll start with you. What is a storyline that stands out to you in terms of Miami going into this postseason? Because I think there's a lot of different angles to touch on with this Miami team as a team that, considering their circumstances throughout the year, has definitely overachieved. Yeah, I mean, they've had the Bam Adebayo got injured. They've had Lowry um, and Jimmy out at certain points. And they are they still came out at the top, which is very interesting and something that I think a lot of people overlook. Um, and you have all the memes of people saying looming dangerously in the one seat or whatever. So um, <laughs> right. there's that too. But I think that the main thing is this is one of the, if not the deepest team in the NBA. And I think it's going to be interesting to see what their rotations will look like because Eric Spolstra is one of the best coaches in the league. Um, we know that he likes to, um, he always, at least the past three years, he's had these deep teams, but he's always cut down his rotation to eight, maybe nine guys, um, depending on who that ninth guy is come playoff time. And they just have a lot of pieces at the end of that bench or just in their bench in general. It's going to be very interesting to see what they do. Um, you have Max Struess, Victor Oladipo just came back from injury, Gabe Vincent. Um, it's going to be interesting to see who he plays and if um, it will be influenced by what matchups he gets. Um, I think that's definitely one thing to look at because, you know, last playoff series – Jimmy Butler did not perform up to par. We all know that. But um, 
if you look at his, I think his run in 2020 kind of supersedes anything that happened last year. I think he's still a very good playoff performer. Um, I expect Lowry to step it up in the playoffs, much like Chris Paul. Um, last year, I expect Lowry um, as an older veteran point guard to also step up. Bam, um, one of the best defender, defenders in the league and a growing offensive talent. Um, I think it's just going to be interesting to see what contributing pieces even are on the floor. How about you, Ryan? What's something that stands out in terms of a storyline from Miami's perspective? I think Jimmy Butler just needs to take more threes because it seems like when he takes more threes, the team, the, the, I think the offense flows better. And I want to read something that I think is interesting in terms of his stats, in terms of his uh, three-point shot attempts. In the month of October, uh, have 0.5 makes on 1.3 attempts. November, 0.3 makes on 2.0 on 2. attempts, on two attempts per game. December, 0.5 makes on 1.3 attempts per game. January, 0.5 makes on 2.4 attempts per game. February, 0.2 makes on 1.8 attempts per game. And March, 0.6 makes on 2.4 attempts per game. The difference between those six months and April is that in the month of April, he's attempted three three threes a game. I think if he takes more threes, that this could be another deciding factor on how far Miami goes in the playoffs because Miami has proven three-point shooters on this team. Max Strews, Tyler Hero, Duncan Robinson. They've proven that they can hit the they can hit those threes. I think what's imperative for Jimmy Butler in the playoffs in general is how can he take over with the amount of threes that he's currently making because I think in the playoffs He's probably going to have to attempt at least six or seven threes a game in order for Miami to make a deep run. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting point, talking about the idea of Jimmy Butler embracing three-point shooting as a guy who's definitely lived in the mid-range. And this is obviously an interesting conversation for a guy that has uh, DeMar DeRozan on his team talking about the Chicago Bulls, who also is a guy who lives within that range. And it's going to be really important to see if Jimmy Butler can kind of tap into his full package because we know if he can get the three ball rolling, he is officially in a different category um, as a guy who is already a pretty clutch performer. But I want to go back to something that Jackson said, and it's talking about the overall rotation, right? Even a guy like Caleb Martin has played really good minutes for them. Marquise Morris has played good time for them, for this uh, Miami Heat team. They're just in a really interesting spot in terms of the overall rotation they have of guys who can fill in good minutes and now when you get to this playoff setting where pretty much you have to kind of shrink down your roster Spolster's ability to figure out who fits in any given series is going to be really important and I think it's even more interesting when you talk about being the number one seed waiting waiting right until this final team is selected because depending on who comes out of this playing tournament, all three of these teams are completely different in their own way. There's no two teams in these final three that they might end up seeing that are similar in any way that'll help in terms of kind of narrowing things down. So because these three teams are so different, it's going to be even more influential on how he ends up narrowing down his roster. Um, and I guess this will be a good way for us to kind of move into X factors. So Ryan, I'll start with you with this one. In terms of like just the one of the things that really stands out to me in terms of x factors for this this series is really just the fact that 
Miami's expectation level has been so low this season, I feel like. The looming dangerously thing is obviously a funny thing for the internet, but I think it goes deeper than that with the kind of guys they've been able to win with in general. Gabe Vincent having the kind of role he has, Caleb Martin being a guy that they acquired from Charlotte and has been able to make significant noise. Ryan, before the season, got to give credit where credit is due. You were big on Max Struess and Omer, Omer Yurtseven before the season started. These guys have played and given significant time to this team. So it just feels like the way they've done it, the route they've taken, and the way that now that they're at the one seed kind of like quietly is one of the bigger storylines I feel like in the playoffs is the fact that Miami sits atop all this nonsense despite probably not even being like top three in the East in terms of teams that are projected to come out as a potential representative in the finals. So like who's an X factor for you with all of that going on? I think the other thing you have to kind of consider Jalen is this is an Eastern conference that has Brooklyn, Philadelphia, and Milwaukee in it. So Mm -hmm. those three teams have been talked about a lot throughout this season. So I'm not, as surprised that Miami hasn't been getting talked about as much, but this is a team where you have to give credit where credit is due, especially when you talk about my X factor and Tyler hero. Let's, let's keep in mind Tyler hero last year in the Milwaukee sweep um, in, in that series last year, Tyler hero averaged 9.3 points per game and 31, uh, 31.6% shooting from the field in that series. This has been a complete turnaround from Tyler Hero this season. And it kind of reminds you of the Tyler Hero of the 2020 bubble, where he is a guy who can hit threes at a, at a high at a high level. He's somebody who can take over games. He's somebody who can shoot efficiently from the field and from three. And, you know, we can put him in the most improved player category this season and well de- and deservedly so because he's improved from last year to this year but this is almost sort of a reminder of what Tyler Hero was in the 2020 season and I think this was and I think this this season was a good indication of what's to come for the playoffs I think touching on Tyler Hero is such an interesting point because got people were so down on him after last season that and I think that was more under the circumstances of expectations, right? I think the bubble set such a high bar for Tyler Hero, especially with him coming out the gate. And again, that being his rookie season, that's so influential because people always focus on upward trajectory, right? There's always that idea that the sophomore slump is something that if you can hurdle that, you're talking about a guy who can ascend into real all-star, superstar caliber like discussions. And so the fact that he was so underwhelming, specifically in the postseason last year, kind of left a lot of people with a bad taste in their mouth. And I think that his resurgence this year in the in the regular season is a really good step in the right direction. But the question is now, especially because of how much Miami relies on Tyler Hero as an offensive threat. Again, Jimmy Butler maybe not playing his best basketball, but also not really being on the floor very much this season. Kyle Lowry kind of undertaking this role of just being a true point guard for this team as opposed to being like a takeover guard for them. Tyler Hero's offensive creation, I think, has become more important this season than it has been in the past two years. 
And I think that's going to be really important regardless of who they play in the first series. Uh, Jackson, how about you? Who's a guy or a, a, a thing in general stat-wise or something that stands out to you as an X, fact, an X factor worth staying, um, staying on top of throughout this series? Yeah, I kind of went back and forth on this. I mean, I think the big thing that stands out when you look at the Heat as a team is their, is how elite they are from deep. Um, I think that their spacing around um, their three main pieces um, and then Tyler here off the bench, but with Lowry, Butler, and um, Bam especially, I think that's going to be interesting. And in terms of just an X factor as a player, um, I kind of went back and forth in this as well, but I think they're kind of equally important if this team is going to make a run um, or even especially if they face the Hawks, even just to get it out of the first round, because I think that um, Trey Young is somebody that you definitely have to look at. Um, I think that Lowry and Bam are going to be equally as important. If you look at Lowry, um, obviously he's the new acquisition. Um, I kind of said that um, feels like he kind of coasted through the regular season. He took over games when he needed to. Um, but for the most part, he acted as a facilitator. It's going to be interesting to see what role he takes on in the playoffs. Um, and if he can step up when um, he's needed, he's done that in the past. We'll see if he can do it again and on a different team. And then also Bam, just being that defensive anchor, um, is going to be vital um, to this team's success. And then offensively, just being a complementary piece that um, can get a bucket if needed. We saw, especially in the bubble, him kind of um, grow into that role. So um, those two things are going to be very interesting. I think that's a great point, too, because I think Kyle Lowry in his own right has to be the X factor as the guy who hasn't necessarily put a stamp on this team yet, which I think is an, it's its own separate. Again, this is why Miami's so interesting. It's its own separate storyline that he's a guy who hasn't really tapped into like what I feel like they actually acquired him for which is becoming the secondary tertiary ball handler who can create his own shot, be a guy who can help them close games and just overall makes really good decisions on both sides of the floor. My X factor in a weird way, and I'm not going to go too deep on this one because he's a guy who is going to be really dependent on if he even cracks the rotation in a playoff setting is a guy like Victor Oladipo. I just want to see what Victor Oladipo brings to the table in a playoff setting. What does that look like as a guy who, you know, we still have really big questions about and coming off that injury. This was a guy who I was already, already kind of worried about worried about this season in terms of where he would fit in on this Miami heat squad. Was he going to cut his teeth as a defensive, uh, as a defensive guy on the perimeter for them? Is he going to go back to being that offensive score that could give them a punch off the bench? Like, um, like he had, has the capability of doing just who was he going to forge himself into on this roster and I still ask myself the que- that same question because I still feel like I don't know. So I just am interested to see if he is able to carve that role in this playoff setting, if he is even given the opportunity. Because like Jackson mentioned earlier, there's a chance he might not even crack this rotation because when it comes down to an eight-man run, Victor might not really even be a part of that for what Miami is looking for heading into the, uh, a series, regardless of what team they end up facing. Let's move on to the next series, and we're going to try to speed this up a little bit, but not too much because we want to give everybody their just due. But we got the Boston Celtics versus the Brooklyn Nets up next. Kyrie goes up against the Celtics again. During the USA Olympics, Kevin Durant made a very interesting joke talking about how the Celtics were going to have to come see them this year. And lo and behold, 
The Celtics, who have been a problem over the last couple of months, at least the last couple of weeks, have been on full tilt. Now we're facing the Brooklyn Nets in the 2-7. Ryan, I'm going to start with you, man. First up, top storyline to keep an eye out on. I know I might have soiled it a little bit with the Kyrie stuff, but I feel like there's more than enough stuff to talk about in terms of this series. I think what's really funny with this series is that last year the Celtics were the seven seed and the Nets were the two seed, and now it's reversed this year. I think that's <laughs> I, I think that was that was definitely something that I thought was interesting. But the big storyline, the loss of Robert Williams. I think that this was a huge loss for this team. He was the centerpiece of this great defense for Boston, and this gives me a lot to worry about now with the Boston Celtics because I think with him. This is a seven-game series that goes in favor of Boston. Without him, I'm not sure what chance that uh, the Celtics have. And I think what's going to have to take place for the Celtics is that they're going to have to throw multiple bodies at multiple players. You're going to have to throw multiple multiple bodies at Kevin Durant. You're going to have to throw multiple bodies at Kyrie Irving, especially with how good he was last night because... He only missed three shots. That was incredible. But I think the law, but I, I think his loss is more impactful than we think it is. I think that's a good point. Robert Williams is definitely going to be one of those talking points. And he's a guy who has a good, unlike Luka Doncic, this is a guy who has a bit more of a decent timetable in terms of being able to return to the playoffs. This is a guy that we might be able to see play in the postseason. But as of right now, this is a guy that we might not see initially and i think that will be an important factor alone uh jackson how about you man yeah so i think the robert williams thing is big um the last thing that i heard is that he might be able to participate in a second round matchup if they get to that point um which is a big loss for them especially in a series like this um when their first round opponent is the nets um but i think the um another big storyline is what what is the nets defense going to look like um, we saw last playoff um, that their defense was actually very solid, um, borderline elite. But um, throughout last year's regular season and this year's regular season, we have seen them um, kind of on a roller coaster um, in terms of their defensive production. And it's going to be interesting to see what kind of defense we get um, against the Cavs. Um, it was solid enough. I think it's going to be interesting to see what role um, – particularly um, Nick Claxton and Kevin Durant play as defenders. I think Kevin Durant is a very underrated um, defender um, in terms of his one-on-one ability and his just from a team defensive standpoint. Um, but it's going to be interesting to see. Um, I know what Kevin Durant is. Um, Kyrie is an improved defender. Um, but especially from a standpoint of Nick Claxton, it's going to be interesting to see what kind of interior presence he gives them. Um, and then Bruce Brown, um, if he can play a big role defensively as well, is going to be interesting. Yeah, I think the defensive aspect of this team is going to be really important because, like, we know they got buckets. Like, I don't think we're worried about them scoring. I think offensively we understand where the load is going to come from, whether that's from Kyrie Irving, whether that's from Kevin Durant. I think Patty Mills is going to be really intricate uh, intricate in terms of this uh, this kind of series or really in terms of a playoff run in general. Um, so I think that's going to be really important. I'm just going to address the elephant in the room because I know somebody's going to want to talk about it. And I know that if it doesn't come out in this section, it's going to come up in the X Factor section. 
But the on and off reports about whether or not Ben Simmons is actually going to be a part of this playoff run is going to be something to keep an eye out on. Personally, I don't see why or I don't know if they actually are truly going to bring him back within this scenario. Um, if he wasn't able to play in some of the, the games that they kind of needed to help themselves elevate themselves to this point, I don't under, I don't know if it's any better to bring him back in such a combative environment like the playoffs. Um, but at the same time, they're taking a, they're making a run at a chip, and if he is good to go, I don't see any reason why he would not be a net positive from the minute he steps on the floor, even if he doesn't bring a significant offensive. Um, boost to them depending on how you view him he definitely would give them a a a jump on the defensive end from the many steps on the floor so i think whether or not ben simmons does play is going to be a really important factor i'll just count that as my x factor too just to kind of save us the time but if you guys want to further elaborate on that i'll give you guys a chance when you get there i'm actually going to start with jackson in terms of x factors anyway so jackson what is an x factor in this series for you yeah, I kind of touched on this, but um, I got Bruce Brown as my X Factor. Um, he's another guy that's kind of a Swiss Army knife. Um, it's funny because he, I'm pretty sure last year he qualified as a point guard. Um, this year he qualified as a small forward, and he plays a lot of power forwards. Um, so he he really, he quite literally has played pretty much every position on the floor um, at major minutes, at major points. So I think it's going to be very interesting to see what kind of matchups um, he's given, um, what kind of assignments he's given defensively, um, because he is a bit undersized, but I expect to see him um, on Jason Tatum, on Jalen Brown for stretches. Um, and I think it's going to be interesting to see what his impact is defensively. Yeah, and I think another thing to point on, too, is just when you talk about Bruce Brown, the fact that this is a guy, like, when he started the season – you kind of wondered like what his role in this team was going to be as a dude who like kind of wasn't cracking the rotation, was significantly getting his minutes cut early in the season, barely played in that season opener against Milwaukee. Like there was just so many questions about like what his role was even going to look like on this team. And now here we are back in the playoff setting where we're like, hey, this dude could be a really big part of how far this team goes just based off the fact that his switchability is so pivotal to any and everything that Brooklyn does defensively. Uh, Ryan, how about you, man? X-Factor-wise, what's something that's so- something or someone that stands out to you? I think it's Marcus Smart. And, you know, when you talk about Robert Williams being the centerpiece of the Celtics defense, you kind of look at the perimeter aspect and you talk about Marcus Smart. I think he's been a great perimeter defender for this team. I think his versatility is another reason that makes him such a dangerous defender. I know, Jackson, you talked about with Bruce Brown, how he's been able to guard forwards and centers and guards. But you even look at Marcus Smart and his versatility to guard guards and forwards. I think what will be an interesting matchup, and I'll kind of transition it to that end, his matchup with Kyrie Irving is going to basically tell us about who has who, who can come out of this series strong. Because I think I know I know that Kyrie Irving will not have the type of game that he had against Cleveland where he was shooting so efficiently. Um, but I think Marcus Smart will definitely be a player that gives Kyrie Irving some fits on the offensive side because Kyrie can have 
a game that he had last night um, in this series. I think he'll have one or two of those games, but I don't know if he's going to get the same open looks that he got in that game last night when Marcus Smart is guarding him. I think that's a good point. Marcus Marcus Smart has obviously been one of the better perimeter defenders so far this year. But I think a funny thing that we're almost kind of not speaking on is kind of because it's become an afterthought to a certain extent. It's just the mere fact that Kyrie Irving actually can play in home games going into this postseason too. I think that that's its own separate thing when you talk about the fact that going into the postseason initially – the the worst case scenario was they were going to be dealing with situations where, for example, in this series, them being the seventh seed, they would be on the road to start the first two games, and that would be beneficial. But coming back home for games three and four would be pivotal because say they are down uh, 0-2 or they're even you know tied 1-1, heading back home without Kyrie is a net negative. So if they were not to go up 2-0 on the road in those first two games, they automatically would be set at a disadvantage when they come back home to Brooklyn for those next two games. But now his ability to be able to play at home opens things up now where you are able to factor him in as a consistent night-to-night performer for them. And that puts Brooklyn in a really good light because, yes, they are without James Harden now with the trade uh, to Philadelphia taking place. And, of course, we are still questioning whether or not Ben Simmons will play. But it's still hard to root against or to – be concerned about a Kyrie, Kevin Durant-led team when you know both of those guys are able to play on a consistent basis and firing on all cylinders. Um, I'm going to pass this to you guys, and we're going to focus on this one a little bit briefly. Um, Jackson, I'll start with you. What is one individual matchup that stands out? I know Bruce Brown's name came up a lot, but I also remember you mentioning the idea of Kevin Durant and um, Nicholas Claxton on the defensive end as well. Yeah, I mean, I think that the matchups in this um, series especially are very fluid because it's a very forward-centric series if you think about it. Um, A lot of the main contributors defensively and offensively, you have Tatum, Brown, Durant, um, Smart, Bruce Brown. Um, A lot of them are um, wings. Um, Kyrie is really the big outlier there. And so I think that the big matchup here is going to be the two stars. I want to see... I want to see Kevin Durant and Jason Tatum go at it. I think that each of them uh, will have opportunities to guard one another as well. Um, I think obviously they're going to mix in Bruce Brown um, and other bodies a little bit there. But like, I think for the most part, those two um, are going to be matched up on one another. And it's going to be interesting to see how they exert themselves, um, especially defensively, but just how they go at it offensively. Um, Tatum has grown significantly. As an offensive player, even when you just compare him to last year, the hardship that he had to go through um, through the first half of this year, um, he's looked much better the second half. Um, he's picking his spots, um, and he's simply just hitting um, his threes, especially. He's hitting from deep a lot more now. Um, and Kevin Durant, I mean, he's continued to add to his bag, um, already ridiculous bag. So I think that it's just going to be interesting to see these two offensive creators kind of at their peak of their game um, go at one another. Yeah, I think that the greatest point that you made out of all of this is that the wing depth in this series is ridiculous. And I think this is one of those series that's going to be very indicative of where the game is going in terms of how much weight wing play has on pretty much just like 
the trajectory of the league in terms of who really can factor in as championship contenders, what type of players you can, can you, what type of players you can genuinely consider to be top of the league superstar caliber guys. And just, I mean, in a way too, from the Celtics perspective, I think it also is going to be a good series. Ryan mentioned the roles reversed between these two teams. Where does Jason Tatum fall in all of this in terms of that that top of the league? Where does he rank amongst other wings discussion? I think that series like this going blow for blow with guys like Kevin Durant will really give us a, in this setting specifically, will give us a chance to understand what that looks like. Ryan, is there any individual matchup that stands out to you outside of KD versus Jason Tatum? Or is that kind of the big glaring one that kind of will be the big difference between, you know, winning or losing this series? Yeah, like I mentioned earlier, I would say Kyrie and Marcus Smart. I think that this is going to be a great matchup between these two um, great players. I think also Marcus Smart's Defensive Player of the Year nomination he can win that. He can win that award if he can uh, contain Kyrie Irving in this matchup. So I think that'll be really interesting to see. Um, but I'm not sure if Kyrie Irving's going to get the same open looks that he did against Cleveland, um, against Marcus Smart, and against Boston. So this could be a really fun matchup to watch it to, to watch in in this uh, playoff game. Yeah, I definitely agree with you. This is probably one of the more fun first round series, I think, across the board, um, just because of what uh, what's at stake, but also the like the storylines behind the scenes for some of these teams in terms of just things looking ahead. You know, talk about Kyrie and you know the Celtics, or looking backwards, I say uh, Kyrie and the Celtics history, Boston and Brooklyn both playing each other last season, the the wing battles, everything like that, just kind of really stands out. We'll go to um, the last question, which is obviously, who do you guys have it coming out of this series and why? Ryan, I'll actually start with you this time. Who do you got coming out of this? I'm going to go with the Nets in six. And I think my, my reasoning behind this is as soon as the news broke that Kyrie Irving was able to play in home games, the worst fear for Celtics, came, for, for Celtics fans came true. Hmm. Because a dangerous team that nobody wants to face right now is the Brooklyn Nets with KD and Kyrie healthy. And the one thing that could change that is if KD and Kyrie are not healthy. And this year, they're both healthy. I think that's that's a I think this is a good reason to give Brooklyn the edge in this one. Jackson, how about you, man? Yeah, I got the Nets in 7. I'm respecting the Celtics um by giving them um 3 games. And I think if Robert Williams was healthy for this series, it would it would be a different story. But I think the fact of the matter is, without Robert Williams, I think both of these teams are on more even um, ground. Um, I think that you take away some of the Celtics' um, defensive prowess. They've been great even without him. I mean, um, let's be honest, they've still kept up that production. But I just think that um, missing Robert Williams is going to be glaring. And I think that um, offensively, I think Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving are going to be too much. Um, I don't think Tatum and Brown are going to be able to match that. Yeah, I think that that's going to be a really interesting point on its own. It's just going to be like, like we know Tatum's good. 
We know Jalen Brown is good. We even know that Marcus Smart, from a perimeter defend, a defensive standpoint, is one of the better perimeter guards in the league on that side of the ball. But where does the talent gap stop? I think is going to be the really interesting question. And specifically talking about a guy like Kevin Durant, when he is in all-world mode, how big of a gap is all-world Kevin Durant mode and peak of his powers Jason Tatum mode? Like that's going to be an interesting contrast. And I think if those two things are even remotely close, then I think this series actually kind of favors the Celtics because I think once you get past the first two to three guys on the roster, the Celtics have much more versatility on both sides of the floor and much more consistent production. But if the peak of his powers version of Jason Tatum is not able to play almost blow for blow with a guy like Kevin Durant, I think that actually ends up favoring Brooklyn even more because of the fact that that Kevin Durant any given game can go takeover mode like that. And that separation in talent really would end up meaning a whole lot. So that's going to be really interesting to see. I'm going to take Ian. Don't hate me. I'm going to take Brooklyn. I really like Boston and I even have Boston as a really like, I have Boston as a dark horse team um, in terms of making the, making the finals. So I know this goes against that thought a little bit, but I just think that Brooklyn is in a really interesting spot. And I got to go with Jackson too. What he said about losing Robert Williams is a big hit as well from an interior defensive standpoint. And just the backdrop of potentially being able to bring Ben Simmons in is also one of those things that like, if they're able to pull that out, then I think Brooklyn is really cooking with grease. And even if they're not, I still think that this is a a series that'll go to about six or seven games. I'm going to take Brooklyn in seven. Um, but if they can bring Ben Simmons onto this floor onto the floor for even half the series, I think that would really change things and significantly switch it in Brooklyn's favor. Um, let's move on to the next series where we're going to talk about the Milwaukee Bucks and the Chicago Bulls. So this is a section that I'm going to let you guys do most of the talking. A, because I have a little bit of bias here, but B. Because this hurts my heart to see this series in the first place. I told you guys off camera, this was the series I did not want to see. This is the last team I wanted Chicago to catch in the first round. But here we are. So, Jackson, I'll start with you, man. Top storyline in this series is what to you? This is this is a tough one because I think that, um, in all honesty, I think this is a very lopsided series. And I think the big thing is going to be the Bucks are in a lot of ways the same team that won the finals last year, but they also reconfigured their depth a little bit. So I think it's just going to be interesting to see in this series in a playoff um, situation, um, in a playoff atmosphere, what does that reconfigured depth look like? What does Bobby Portis in a bigger role um, give you? What does um, Grayson Allen, all these extra pieces give you? Um, they don't have Dante DiVincenzo now, who wasn't part of that playoff run, was still, but was still a big part of that team. Um, just what do these other pieces give you, Pat Connaughton, in a bigger role? Um, and, yeah, that's basically the big thing that I'm looking at for this series. Ryan, how about you, man? Like, what's a big storyline that stands out for you in this series? I would have to say the return of Brooke Lopez. And it's, it's a storyline that not a lot of people are talking about because Brooke Lopez had only played one game uh, this season 
and it was the first game of the season. He actually came back um, and ended up playing in 11 games this season, and he's actually been the same Brooke Lopez from the championship team last year as a strong interior defender, and that's exactly what the Bucks needed. Um, you know, I, I want to read a stat that I think is really interesting with Brooke Lopez's return. Brooke Lopez is actually holding opponents to 12 of 40 shooting at the rim. That's 30%. And I think that's really impressive. And that's that's something that is it's another element that makes Milwaukee such a dangerous team. And now you have Brooke Lopez and Giannis Antetokounmpo at the rim. I, I, I think that this is going to be a matchup down low that the Bulls will not win. Yeah, Ryan, that hurts. Not gonna lie. That one, that one's painful to hear. Truthful, but painful to hear. The the storyline that I'm gonna go with is just whether or not DeMar DeRozan can reestablish the magic, right? This is a guy who for the earlier part of the season was in the MVP discussion. Granted, maybe never really cracked the top five for some people, but was always like top seven in the discussion. And over the last month and a half or so, has really been gassed out and has really kind of lost his touch in terms of having like that kind of stamp on games for the Bulls. I was there for the New Year's game against Washington that was like that was the buzzer beater of all buzzer beaters following the Indiana stuff, you know, not too far before. And this is a guy who, in the clutch, even now, with, with the downward spiral of this season in the last month and a half, is still one of the best clutch performers from a scoring standpoint in the league this year. And so in this setting against Milwaukee, where we're going to need every bit of full tilt DeMar DeRozan we can get, are we going to see that? Because if we don't, I don't know what we're supposed to do with Milwaukee. If we don't get full tilt DeMar DeRozan, this might be over in four games. If we can get full tilt DeMar DeRozan with solid play from Zach Levine, pair that obviously with Nikola Vucevic playing relatively well, now we have a competitive series where am I confident in my team? Not as much. Am I still going to take my team to win? Heck yeah, because I'm not betting to win against my team. Let's, Let's keep it a buck. But I'm also just trying to be realistic here. Like, this series becomes much, much more difficult if DeMar DeRozan is not the guy we saw in the first couple of months of the season as opposed to the last month or so of the year. You know what I mean? So that's one of my bigger worries. Uh, Jackson, let's go to you. And Maybe I already kind of touched on my X Factor a little bit, but what is your X Factor in this series? Yeah, for my X Factor for this series, I have Patrick Williams. It's just going to be interesting to see the the Bulls don't have a lot of um, versatile bodies um, defensively to throw at a guy like Giannis. So I would assume that Patrick Williams would be the primary matchup um, on Giannis. I think Derek Jones Jr., we could see him um, a little more than anticipated in this series just because of that as well. You need somebody to simply put on Giannis. But um, it's going to be interesting to see Patrick Williams um, recently coming back from injury um, to see what he can do, especially from a defensive standpoint. Um, Because I think everybody acknowledges um, Patrick Williams' two-way ability, but I don't think anybody views him um, as this elite defender. So it's going to be interesting to see what he can do against one of the best in the game. Um, 
and one of the most dominant forces in the game as well. Yeah, that's going to be an interesting factor as well because, like, the who checks Giannis game is one that you have to play in almost every series, I feel like. But for the Bulls specifically, I can't say we got it. (laughs) I just genuinely don't believe that we're in a situation right now where we can lean on any one guy to go step. And, I mean, I don't think anybody – you put one dude – in the league on Giannis, I think maybe the only person that anybody's had that kind of confidence in in the past was maybe Kawhi Leonard. But outside of maybe Kawhi, I don't think there's ever been one person you look at and you say, if you put them on Giannis, this is how you slow the Bucks down. Because I don't think that you can take one defender and slow down Giannis unless you kind of have an otherworldly built perimeter defender kind of like Kawhi Leonard so the Bulls aren't even close to that right like our best perimeter defenders are smaller guys like Alex Caruso like Ayo Desumu uh Lonzo Ball when he was healthy but we are obviously not going to have him for us for this series which also hurts um so yeah the the who checks Giannis question is always going to be a big one but in this series specifically it's not looking too hot Ryan how about you x-factor wise It's not a player, but more of a thing. And I want to talk about the Bulls' three-point shooting struggles, not only on offense, but also on defense. The Chicago Bulls were one of the top three-point shooting teams in the league earlier on in the season. Since the All-Star break, they've struggled. They have not been hitting threes at a high level. They haven't really taken a lot of threes. They've actually had trouble defending the three. I feel like it's just a mixture of all of that. And I, I'm not, I don't know if the Bucks are going to take a lot of threes, but the Bulls have to be able to um, contain the three point shooting for the Milwaukee Bucks in this series. I think it's going to be something interesting to watch out for. I'm not 100% sure if they're going to be able to do that, though. Yeah, I think that's another interesting point is like just the idea that, like, Man, I mean, because Milwaukee could get it done in so many ways. Like, for example, Drew Holiday is one of those guys that I think is going to be really important in this series because I think he's probably going to be one of the primary defenders on DeMar DeRozan. And that's one of those matchups that I think maybe DeMar wins a game, but he can win us a game against that. But I think over the course of a seven-game series, I don't like that. I don't like the fact that you can have the switchability of putting Giannis, Chris Middleton, or Drew Holiday on any combination of DeMar DeRozan or Zach Levine, which are our two primary um, focal points offensively because we don't play a lot of stuff through Vooch. We don't play a lot of stuff through guys like Kobe and Io. So the fact that they have three guys who are capable of covering R2 it puts us in a weird box. So interested to see where you guys go with this series. Um, I know individual matchup wise, there's kind of a couple of things that stand out. You guys have touched on them a little bit already. So I'm going to go ahead and go to the last point about who you guys have advancing. I know I'm on the podcast, but you guys don't have to be nice. If you see us getting whooped, just let me know. But um, Jackson, I'll start with you. Who you got getting out of this series and how many games and, and why? Yeah, I have the Bucks in five. I think that this is going to be um, a pretty um, easy series um, for the Bucks. I don't think you can discount the fact that um, the Bulls have a one-two punch like Demar and Levine, 
Um, and then also you have Vucevic to complement them. But again, DeMar hasn't been firing in all cylinders lately. Um, Levine has the lower body um, injury, um, which he's been dealing with on and off um, basically since the new year, it feels like. And I think that that really um, plays into it. I also think the fact that um, Ryan mentioned Brooke Lopez coming back, um, and this is really a good matchup for Brooke um, playing Vucevic, um, a non-mobile big. He really struggles against um, versatile um, big men, and Vucevic is just not one of those. So that just frees up Giannis to, um, as a defensive body even more. Um, you mentioned Drew Holiday. Um, you can put Drew or Middleton or Giannis on um, Levine or DeMar. I think that this is just a really bad matchup um, for um, the Bulls. Ryan, how about you, man? Like I said, I know I know you're my podcast host, man, but you ain't you, you don't you don't gotta pull punches. I think I can take it. We've had enough conversations, real conversations about the Bulls. You know I could take it. So I'm I'm kind of I'm 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 depending I'm trying to think of how I can word this. <laughs> I think the best way to put this series is this will either be a sweep in the Bucks' favor. Or the Bucks will win in six games. I think the Bucks can sweep this series if Chicago struggles in terms of firing on all cylinders. If Demar and Zach have a bad series, I think I think the Bucks can take care of business pretty quickly. Chicago wins two games based on Demar Derozan showing up in the last five minutes in the fourth quarter in those two games because I think with. With, with taking into account the fact that this team is, or should I say DeMar DeRozan as a player, is so strong in the fourth quarter this season, I think you have to give the Bulls the chance, uh, the Bulls a chance in that, in that aspect. But I think what will, I, I think that's just a big if in this series, if DeMar DeRozan shows up in the last five minutes in two of these games. With that being said, I'm leaning to more. I'm leaning towards Bucks in four. It's unfortunate, I but like I, I, I don't I know. This was a really tough draw for the Bulls in the first round. No, man, I feel you, and I hate. I, like I said, as much as as much as it sucks, we also just I just also like being realistic. And I've had this conversation with you on podcast before, so it's not like anything brand new. If you've listened to past episodes talking about the Eastern Conference, I've always asked you, our guest thoughts on like the Bulls legitimate chances this year with the fact that they've played at such a peak level especially towards the earlier part of the se- portion of the season yet it just feels like there's so many other contenders that outweigh them class wise to the point that even with their best one is still fearful that they might not be good enough even still with what is their quote-unquote best so, of course, the bias in me, the heart, so to speak, is going to take Bulls in seven because I think it's going to take seven games if the Bulls are going to pull it out. I will be real with you guys and say that my head says that the Bucks will win in five games. But, of course, as a Bulls fan, I'm going to try to wear my bias on my sleeve as much as I possibly can while we still are in the mix. Um, but, again, like I said, I also will say that my head tells me that we'll probably lose in five games just because Giannis has been on another level and I think this was just not the greatest draw. So let's go ahead and get to the final team. And, man, we're, we're going on about a, about two hours now, so we're going to try our best to kind of finish this one out strong. 
We got Philly versus Toronto. This has been the one where everybody's been trying to put Philly on upset alert. James Harden hasn't been playing relatively well the last couple of games. Obviously, Joel Embiid is trying to make an MVP case for himself. Toronto has been the sleeping giant in some sense that he's got. They've got the rookie of the year in my my eyes and Scotty Barnes, who's been playing really well this season, along with Fred Van Vliet, who made the all star team this year. And they're one of the best rebounding teams, both offensively and defensively in the NBA. So very intriguing matchup and a throwback to a really interesting st- series that in the long term ended up having a big imp- having big implications on Toronto's past run to the NBA finals where they be- eventually became uh NBA champions. So with that all being said, Jackson, I'll start with you. Our last top storyline from you of the first round of the uh the NBA playoffs. Yeah, I mean, I think this is going to be the closest series in the first round. I'll start out with that. Um, but I think that the big storyline is going to be what kind of defensive looks does Embiid get? Um, we've kind of seen hints at this in the past um, with Embiid tending to struggle against um, the Raptors, especially led by Nick Nurse. And I think that they have so many bodies. They have Siakam. Um, they have Precious Achua, um, Boucher, um, Kem, Kem Birch. I mean, and then not even to mention like, Scotty Barnes, who's also 6'7", although he probably won't be guarding um, Embiid. They just have so much help and that um, they just have so much length in that help defense that I think it's going to be very interesting to see just um, what kind of – I think it takes a team to stop somebody like Embiid, especially a dominant big like that. So it's just going to be interesting to see what defensive looks they throw at him. And I don't love this storyline, but it's a storyline that people are going to throw out is – can Harden step up? If we expect Embiid to be subpar in a series such as this, Harden is going to need to step up. And even if Embiid is subpar, the Sixers can still win just because of Harden's offensive talent. But it's he it's going to be imperative that he has um, a great playoff series. Yeah, James Harden, is he has to be the most discussed guy in these playoffs. I actually plan on trying to do a little bit of a mini write-up before the playoffs starts on five players in each conference with the most pressure going into the playoffs. And in the East, I mean, James Harden has to be somewhere at the top of the list. If he is a number one, he's got to be number two just because of the storyline factor of obviously a lot of people's in the media, especially viewership of him as a as a lackadaisical postseason performer. You put that you pair that with the the way he not only exited Houston a season ago, but now his way in, in terms of exiting from Brooklyn as well. The recent play of Harden over the last couple of games, last couple of weeks, even he is definitely a guy that's going to be entering the postseason with probably the most pressure on his shoulders of anybody in the Eastern Conference. And he's probably top five amongst every team in the postseason um, as it's right around the corner. Ryan, how about you, man? I would have to say the play of Tyrese Maxey, and he has been handed the keys to the point guard to the point guard position, and he's ran with them. And I think Jackson actually made a post on his Instagram about the possibility of him winning most improved player. I think that's that's definitely a viable case. I, I think he's definitely a viable player to win that award with how he's been playing this season. I mean, when you talk about his shooting ability, you talk about his his 
athleticism and his speed on the court, he's a really fast player. Like he can get from the other side of the, he can get from one side to the court of the court to the other side pretty quickly. And I think that his play, this will be like another playoff series for him to prove himself. We actually saw glimpses of of his his playoff uh, performances in the series against Atlanta. He's act, he actually he actually was taking over a couple of those games with the way he was he was able to score um, as quickly as he did. But I think Tyrese Maxey is definitely going to be a player to watch out for in this series. Yeah, I think the importance of Maxi is going to be a big deal, kind of regardless of how James Harden plays. But I think if he's a plus next to James Harden, that's even bigger. Um, this is going to be interesting in general to see how this core steps up against a team like Toronto, who definitely has the kind of perimeter defenders to hang with Harden, Tobias, Matisse. I think they have the kind of size, granted, not vertically, so to speak, right? They don't have a single seven-footer on the roster that's going to really be able to give any kind of cause to pause for a guy like Embiid. But they have a lot of length that they can put around Embiid, and that's something that we've seen them be very successful with in the past against Philly. So I think that they are kind of built in an interesting way to give them fits. And, of course, a lot of people in, in the media have been saying that as well about Toronto. Um Jackson, let's talk about this. An X factor for this series for you is what exactly? Because I feel like, or who exactly? Because I feel like with so many different names to point out for both of these teams, I really think anybody could kind of storm in on in this series and really imprint themselves um, in a series like this. Yeah, I mean, we've talked about Harden. I'm more of the mindset that Harden... Um is a pretty solid playoff performer, so I'm not too worried about him. Um, A player that I think is a real X factor, though, is Pascal Siakam for the Raptors. I think that, you know, we've seen the narratives of him struggling in the playoffs in the past. The last time that he was in the playoffs was the bubble, Um, and we really saw Lowry carry a lot of the load there. Um, And then, obviously, we had last season where he was looked on not as favorably. Um, This season, he's had a resurgence um, and I think that it's going to be very interesting to see what version of Pascal Siakam we get. I think he's going to have to be very aggressive in a series like this. Um, he's going, he's, he's going to get some, um, he's going to draw some tough matchups just being as good as he's been this season. And I think he's going to, um, have to respond to that in a big way, um, and be the centerpiece, um, be the offensive centerpiece of this Raptors team, um, which he's really been all season. Yeah, I think Pascal's play, I mean, in a series like this one, this is going to be one of those where Pascal kind of has to be like peak, like spicy P level, like of a of a guy in, internally as a defender who's going to be one of those guys that's going to get a lot of the Embiid looks in terms of down, uh, down low in the post. But I also think that he's going to be a guy that offensively is going to have to be able to give it right back to Embiid as well. So I think that's going to be really important. Ryan, how about you X-Factor-wise? I would have to say the play is Scotty Barnes. And I think Scotty Barnes is built for this type of a game. And I think they're. I think Toronto is going to need his energy. They're going to need his athleticism. They're going to need his defensive ability and physicality down low because, like Jackson mentioned earlier, I think it'll be interesting to see 
what type of looks Toronto gives Joel Embiid on defense? Because I don't think there's going to be one sole interior defender that ends up guarding Joel Embiid down low. I think it could be two or three guys. I think something funny, though, to kind of point out with this series, another X Factor could be the Raptors' mascot. If you remember in January, he got into a little bit of a, a, a bit of a, like he has some antics going with uh, Devin Booker in January. And it kind of, it, it was interesting to see him, see the mascot kind of get into a player's head as quickly as, as the mascot did. And like it, it got to the point where he was actually sent to timeout. <laughs> um, the reason why I bring this up is because I can easily see the Raptors mascot getting into uh, some antics with Joel Embiid or James Harden. But I think in all seriousness, Scotty Barnes, he's the player to watch out for in this series. I think that's an interesting call. The thing is that I, I think the mascot one is funny. That's one of those that's kind of an interesting play. But I think overall, I think Scotty Barnes' influence on this series, you hate to put so much on a rookie in his first run in. But you do have to kind of wonder, like, what kind of role he is going to have in the midst of all of this, because he is going to be a guy that is going to be, you know, heavily relied upon on the defensive end. So, I mean, one has to wonder. I think one of the biggest questions up front is going to just be who does he guard? Who who does he who is going to be his primary assignment if he is even given one? Is he going to be a roamer? Is he going to be maximized for his ability to be a great help defender? Those kind of things really stand out. I think we've kind of talked about the individual matchups a little bit through the X factors. So we're going to kind of round this podcast out real quick by talking about who we have advancing. Jackson, I'll start with you. Who do you have getting out of this series? How many games and why? Yeah, I mean, I said that this is going to be the closest series. I think this is going to be the closest series in the first round. I had the Timberwolves and the Grizzlies going to seven games. So even closer than that, I think this series definitely goes to seven. And every game is going to be pretty tightly contested. But I have the Sixers and seven um, coming out of this game or coming out of this series. I think that just I think Harden is going to um, prove a lot of people that um, he can perform um, in an adverse situation such as this in a tight series. Um, in a series where um, he's going to struggle on Embiid and Harden, I think, are going to struggle on both ends of the floor just because of the versatility and length of the Raptors, um, I think, is going to give them problems offensively and defensively. But I think they're going to be able to fight through it. They have the offensive talent. Um, the offensive talent margin in the series is quite wide, even with the lack of like um, other creators outside of Maxi, Harden, and Embiid. I think that even with that, um, I think that they have a pretty wide offensive um, talent gap. And I think that that's going to um, prove to win this series. And truthfully, truthfully enough, Jackson, sometimes I think that alone, and we kind of talked about this briefly when we were talking about the Brooklyn Boston series, sometimes that talent gap alone is just enough to be the difference in a series, especially in these opening round series where the discrepancy just in the seeding, right, is one of those things that you kind of just wonder from a talent gap standpoint if the seeding is also reflective of the talent difference. This is one of those series where I also agree with you in the sense of, like, it's going to be so close. I don't think the talent gap – I think the talent gap is the only thing that really saves Philly in a series like this. Ryan, um, I'll go to you. Who do you have winning this series? How many games and why? I have to agree – I have to agree with Jackson in the sense that I think this is another seven game series that I think every game 
is going to be close. I think I think the margin of victory, it could be 10 points, and I think that's the maximum for all these games. I'm going to be honest, though, Jalen. I'm going with Toronto on this one. And it's not Joel Embiid struggling. I think it's James Harden struggling. Joel Embiid, I think no matter how many looks Toronto throws at Joel Embiid, I think he'll be able to do his – I think he'll be able to do the damage in the paint, score as many points, and take over. James Harden is my biggest concern because he has shown that he's struggled in playoff games. Mm-hmm. I know Dro, our good friend, he's called him a fraud in the playoffs, and mm-hmm. he's he's had his reasons for that. I'm very worried that he is going – to struggle in the playoffs. And especially with the versatility and length that you were mentioning, Jalen, I think that could be a deciding factor on James Harden's uh, struggles in this matchup. I think that the starting lineup for, for the Raptors, I think they'll be able to take care of business. I'm not sure if the second unit behind Joel Embiid is going to take care of business as well, because Doc Rivers has, has, has kind of, um, you know, floated between different centers and different lineups where there isn't really a defined backup center um, Mm. per se. So I think there's a couple different factors that kind of lean in Toronto's favor. I have to also go with the coaching aspect too, because Nick Nurse has been a phenomenal coach this season. He's taken a team that was a 12 seed last year into a fifth seed this year. So there's definitely a couple of factors. I'm going with Toronto though. Hey, man, no hate. I mean, again, this is one of those that's built a lot of traction. I'm going to go with Jackson on this one in terms of picking um, Philly. I'm going to pick them in seven games just because I think Philly's going to give them fits. I could be we could be we could be wrong. Philly could get this done in five games and really show dominance, especially from Joel and B specifically. But I think this is going to be a hard fought series. I think it does go seven games. It's going to be really interesting to see how it all plays out considering the fact that there's so many things, especially from Philly's perspective, that you kind of have to wonder about or you have to apply the what-if phrase to. So it's just going to be really interesting overall to just see what type of time these two teams are on because I think if they're both firing on all cylinders, I think we could literally see this coming down not only to a Game 7, but literally down to the final possession. And that's always going to be an interesting feat too when you talk about two teams that have pretty interesting perimeter talent. that need to close games for you. Um, so with us all being the case, this is the part of the podcast where we hand things over to the guests to kind of plug their stuff, give their final thoughts on not only just our topic that we discussed, but also their final thoughts um, in general about like the NBA season. So Jackson, I'm going to pass it over to you, man, in terms of final thoughts on the first round of the playoffs, uh, final thoughts on the NBA regular season that has now come to an end. Um, any thoughts on NBA award stuff? The floor is yours to do whatever you'd like. Yeah. I mean, I, Thank you for having me on. I I appreciate it. And I think that the main thing that stuck out from this season is um, how close um, every team is, whether it be because of injuries um, or trades or chemistry issues, um, especially in the East, it's very tightly contested. And I think we, I mean, we were talking about this before the podcast. There, um, The Bucks, the Celtics, and the 76ers all ended up with the same record. Like, everything is very tightly contested and close. Um, Outside of the Suns, no team was really that dominant um, um, in the regular season. And I think this is really um, a breath of fresh air for the league overall. 
Um, and I hope this is something that continues in the future. Even the Suns being the top team, I mean, again, I discussed how they don't have um, that top-tier superstar on their team. So it's just very interesting, very different for the league. Um, and I think that that's the main thing that stands out um, from this season. And I think that's going to make the playoffs even more interesting um, than it has been in the past, um, which is something definitely to look forward to. Um, but yeah, other than that, um, that's my thoughts on the season, basically. Um, again, thank you for having me on. It's been a pleasure. Definitely, man. Definitely. In terms of being able to follow me on social media, all that stuff will, of course, be included as tags um, when the episode goes live. Hot Takes on Hoops is one of the better pages on Instagram. If you're not hip yet, get hip soon. We've had Jackson on a couple of episodes um, already, and is a guy that we like to bring on as frequently as humanly possible because he's a guy that really knows his stuff from a basketball standpoint. Ryan, any final thoughts as well as taking us into our question of the day and getting us up out of here? Transitioning to our question of the day for our fans, which series is the most interesting playoff series in the first round of the NBA playoffs? We want to thank our guest Jackson Chin for coming on to the podcast again. It was a great time discussing uh, playoff basketball here in the NBA. Um, And on that note, we will see you guys next episode. Peace.